Okay, can everyone raise both their hands? Okay, I have, yeah, I like having control over people. And now we're just gonna we're gonna put the roller coaster harness down. Okay, we ready? So this morning we're gonna talk about relationships, and I was just thinking, how many relationships are represented in this room? So I'm seeing a marital relationship. I'm seeing a bromance, two bros. We got a brothership. We got a marriage. We got, uh, I saw grandparents and grandkid relationship. I see a friendship. There are so many relationships in this room. And here's the thing. Isn't it amazing that the most, the most valuable things in your life are actually invisible? So like your relationships are actually the most important thing in your life. You can't actually see them. You see the people, but you don't actually see the relationship. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this invisible thing that is essential to our life, and that's relationships. Uh, we're going to be looking at God's heart for our relationship, and we're going, to, we're going to see that as we heal in our relationship with God, we actually begin to heal in our relationship with each other. And as we get real with God, we actually learn how to get real uh, with each other. So last week, we began our series on KGF values, and we learned about, as we heard, deeper in prayer, scripture, and faith. Now, values, just a quick little recap, values are kind of like the railroad tracks that your life moves upon. Your values really determine where you go and how you live. And we often don't recognize what they are. And so this morning, we want to talk about what are the values that God is calling us as a community to live into. And here's the thing. If you were to live deeper into prayer and deeper into scripture and deeper into taking leaps of faith with God, you would actually start living into the second value, which is real in our relationships. But before I get to that, I want to tell a little story. So when I was 16 years old, I was staying at a cheap motel in Port Alberni on Vancouver Island for a basketball tournament. So most public schools can't afford nice hotels, so you usually stay in something not so nice. And at that tournament, when I was playing, apparently some of the ladies on one of the teams found me attractive, and I don't know why, because I wasn't very attractive. Maybe it was my shooting form. I had pretty good form. And somehow they got the number to my motel room with my buddies on our team, and they said, hey, we would like that Marcus number 11 to come down to our room. So... I didn't want to, but Tim, my friend, who was kind of a ladies' man, he was like, dude, you got to go. You got to go. And can I come with you? <laughs> so, so he convinced me, and uh, we went downstairs to this room, and uh, I ended up in a bathroom alone with a, a girl who I think her name was Dawn. And uh, she grabbed my collar and was pulling me down to kiss me all of a sudden because I'm six foot six and she's got to bridge the gap. And uh, it suddenly dawned on me, um, it really should have dawned on me earlier, that something's trying to go down here. So I, I actually just smacked her hands away and I said, oh, I see what's going on because I was a little bit slow. And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and I walked out of that room, and I went up the stairs. But then I stopped because I had come with my friend Tim. And I turned around, 
And he was at the doorway making out with one of the girls. And it pierced me because I knew his girlfriend back home. And I was like, how do you do that? And so we didn't know it at the time, but we were just following the cultural script that we had been given. And we had been given different, we had been given different ones because we had different communities. So Tim's community comprised of disengaged parents. I knew them. Gangster rap artists like Tupac, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Dating myself, I guess. Uh, <laughs> they and his sexually charged peers, they all handed Tim a script that said things like, loyalty does not matter. Women are playthings. And if it feels good, do it. It's a script in the 90s, still a script today, right? Feels good, do it. I happen to be part of a different community. I'm not saying I'm any better. I just was in a different community, different family. And I was going to a youth group called Youth for Christ. And we were reading scripture together. We were learning a different script modeled by Jesus. And what we saw was a man who was loyal in his relationships, who treated women with respect and not as objects. And he wasn't led by his feelings. He was actually led by the Spirit. Wow. And so as it happened 12 years ago, or 12 years after that incident, I bumped into Tim at our, you know, the awkward 10-year high school reunion where you barely recognize people and everyone's like 50 pounds heavier and you're like, who are you? So we're talking, I'm talking to Tim and he told me like, he told me the story of 12 years of broken relationships and it was really sad and he was sad about it, but it was the predictable ending of the world's script on relationships. And it makes me wonder how different would Tim's life had been if he had been given a different script on relationships? And then what relational script are you and I following? You see, every one of us here has a cultural script that tells us line for line how to do relationships. But it's not like in Hollywood where an actor is literally given a script and the director's like, do that. It's a lot more subtle. So cultural scripts are more like the air we breathe and they, they rub off on us as we do life in the world and they make up what the Apostle Paul calls the pattern of this world. The world has a pattern to the way it does relationships. And here's the catch, friends. If you want to step into real relationships, if you want to have a real deep, meaningful relationship, you're going to need a better script than the one that the world will give you. And what we find in Jesus and what we find in the scriptures is a better script, a way of doing relationships, a kingdom way. And so it has, I see three dimensions to this way of relating and it applies to any relationship. So between a mom and a daughter, between an, a boss and an employee, whatever the relationship is, these dimensions apply. And there's three of them. We're going to go through them together. So the first one is purposeful. Real relationships are purposeful. Number two, real relationships are Godward. And thirdly, real relationships are costly. So let's look at the first one, purposeful. We're going to be going through a bunch of different scriptures. They're going to be on the screen. You can follow along. You can also follow along your Bible. So the first one is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. All right, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they 
fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. We have been walking through the gospel of Mark together, and maybe you've noticed that all of Jesus' relationships were very purposeful. So Simon and Andrew didn't accidentally fall into relationship with Jesus. There was a calling from Jesus into relationship. And what's true of every believer that we are called to Jesus is actually true of every relationship when you're a believer. You and I are called into the relationships that we have for a divine purpose. That is to say, real relationships are providential. So the relationship that you have with your boss It's not accidental. It's actually God provided. Or the children that you care for as a parent, as an educational assistant, as a coach, as a counselor, those relationships are a calling. Now, you could have a different boss. And some of you are like, yes, I wouldn't mind that. I would love to have a different boss. But you don't. You have the boss that you have. And they have a certain story. And God has placed you in that relationship for a reason. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says in these lines. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, 17. He says, Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. You are placed. And because you're placed, remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. Paul said these words to the Corinthian believers because they found themselves in difficult relationships. And when I say that, you might be like, yes, I know what that means. I have some hard relationships. And what he says to them is, is don't buy into the cultural script that was so relevant back then. And it's the same script today, which says your relationships are totally accidental. And so it's totally okay if your relationship is hard to just exchange it for an easier one. Just trade it in, get an easier one. There's really no meaning behind those relationships. I can remember working a while back in carpentry for a boss who would literally scream at me for like the most trivial thing. So I would forget a broom at a work site at the end of the day. And he would just lean into me and yell at me. And I'm like, dude, I just forgot like a broom. Like I can just go and get it. And so I started praying, God, can I please get a new boss? Can I please work for a different construction company? And I had this sense from God that, no, I have placed you in this man's life, and you are to be his pastor in Carhartt's incognito. And so I actually, as much as I didn't want to be there, I remained in that relationship, and I tried to bless him, and I would pray for him secretly, and I would try and work for the better of his company. I wasn't trying to secretly undermine his company and like building really bad walls that are not plumb. I just tried to bless him and serve him. Another example, when I was a youth pastor in Thailand in the early 2000s, my mom came to visit me and she came just so tired because she had been caring for my father who had Parkinson's disease and it was quite advanced. So she had to feed him, bathe him, clothe him. And she was just tired like any of us would have been. And I remember walking with her one day, and God gave me this word for her, and I didn't even know that it was something kind of prophetic for her. We were just walking along, and I just just dawned on me, like, Mom, Dad is not a circumstance. Dad is a calling. 
and the lights went on, and my mom went home, changed, because she went home, called to my father to serve him and to love him. The people in your lives are not circumstances. They are a calling. You are called to them. And so how do you think my mother's care of my father has impacted me? When things are hard in my marriage with Beth, because sometimes marriage is hard, what script do you think I turn to? I turn to the one that my mom has modeled with my father. And she got it from Jesus. And so what script are you giving your kids? What script are you giving your grandkids? What script are you giving your friends? Because we're all living a script. And then, what relationship in your life needs a recovery of this first dimension of kingdom relationships? Because when we're in a hard relationship, sometimes all we see is the cost that they are placing on us. Like, wow, they are so annoying. They are so rude. They are so uneducated. They are so, and it all has to do with their impact on you. But what we're being called to is when God says, I have called you to that person, all that doesn't matter anymore. You're no longer a victim. It's now, you are called to that person, and so start leaning into that, really, ministry. And so for my mom, she felt a bit like a victim and trapped, but when God said, I have called you to Chris, Marcus's father, she's like, I'm not a victim. I've been, like, summoned by God to serve Chris. And it changed his life. It changed our family's life. But you know what? When he's calling you to see your relationships as a calling, it's going to sometimes require an attitude change or what the Bible calls repentance. You might have to change an attitude about that person. So what might that be in that relationship? Having a heart change, a perspective change. And this leads to the second dimension of real relationships. For as we lean into our calling of the relationships we have, they're going to take a Godward shape. Now, this is kind of a rare word. You don't really hear people talk about it. But it's basically two words put together. So Godward is God and then toward mashed together. Godward. And what it means is in real relationships, those relationships are going to reflect the way of Jesus. And they're kind of have this Godward movement. They're going to move towards God. And this is totally different from the script we inherit from our culture. So our culture script says relationships are to be self word. That people exist for my self-fulfillment. And the ultimate reference point is me. Everyone revolves and orbits around me. Yes, you all revolve around me. That is a worldly script. The Apostle Paul actually talks about this relational script. And he talks about how when he, when he began to follow Jesus, there was like a Copernican revolution in the way he approached his relationships. So he writes about this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 16, and verse 20. I love this passage. It's one of my favorites. He says this, Either way, guys, Christ's love controls us or compels us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they're going to live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, 
how differently we know him now. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Be reconciled to God. Can you hear the revolution there in the relationships? From self-word to God-word? So those who receive Christ and his life, something incredible happens. Nothing less than a revolution. So I'll just, there's four things I see here. Number one, we no longer live for ourselves. We now live for Christ. Number two, we can now see with the eyes of Jesus. We don't just evaluate others from a merely human point of view. Like, oh, they drive a Lexus. Oh, they're wearing brown clothes. Oh, you know, whatever. There is now a deeper seeing. And that is, as Christ's ambassadors, the thing we look for most in our relationships is we want to see that person's relation to God. That becomes the most important thing. I want to see where they are in relation to the Father. And then out of that, as we see them in the light of God, we then say to people in our relationships through our words and through our actions, come back to God. That we actually help draw people to God. We help bring people to Jesus. How you see changes everything. It affects everything. So looking through the cultural script of Hinduism, most of India saw deletes, the lowest caste people. They saw them as human garbage. But then Mother Teresa, who loves Jesus, who's seeing through the eyes of Jesus, she sees deletes as persons made in the image of God, worthy of love and warmth and a relationship with God. And she caused really a, a kind of revolution, and that has had huge ripple effects. And you see that in Child of Mine. You see those ripples there. In Child of Mine, street kids that have no value in the world's eyes suddenly have incredible value from the people that know Christ. And they bring them into a home, and they feed them, and they give them education, and they give them a hope. It's incredible. How you see changes everything. So what eyes do you look through when you see your kids? And just a little annoying where they're not listening to you. <laughs> what do you see? Do you just see the annoyance or do you see, I am called to this kid and no one else is going to be their father. So what am I doing with that calling? What eyes are you looking through? When you see your neighbor, your coworker, your dentist. Well, hear this. God not only purposefully placed you in people's lives, he has you there to participate with the Spirit of God and cultivating a Godward momentum to help move things forward spiritually. And that word participate is really important because none of us can force someone closer to God. Okay? You can't twist someone's arm and, you know, you, you know you, 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 they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Some people are like, oh, yeah, well, I can bring someone near to God and, like, force them into <laughs> becoming a Christian. You can't. You can't force spiritual growth. And that's really important. It's actually a relief because sometimes we try and awkwardly force every single conversation to Jesus, and it makes it really hard to be present to people. So for me, how many times have I not been 
present with someone because as we're talking maybe about breakfast and how good the frosted flakes are, I'm literally in my head trying to figure out how I'm going to jump from frosted flakes to Jesus of Nazareth. It's, it's a lot of pressure. And so, you know, just as these flakes are covered with white sugar, you know, makes me think how Jesus can make your sins white as snow. Hmm. It's funny, but for where I grew up, there was a lot of evangelical pressure to like, you have to share Jesus in every situation with every person or they're going to hell. How are you supposed to function? How are you supposed to love someone and be present and actually see them when you're sewing your head? So it's not that we don't need to help people understand God, but it's just we're participating. God wants people to come to him way more than you want people to come to him. So pay attention to what his spirit is doing in people's lives. So we don't save people. And I want to say this, when it comes to social engagement, sometimes Christians, because they want to see the society move towards God's ways, or they want to see an individual walk with God, they use judgment. They flex the judgment muscle. And I just want to briefly talk about that. How many times do we see that? And I love this example that just, I want you to ponder this. In the late 1990s, Billy Graham was confronted for how he did not condemn publicly and totally distance himself from Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton had committed an abuse of power sexually, and Billy Graham actually increased his relationship with Bill Clinton. He didn't distance himself, he actually drew near. And it got a lot of people very upset. And so justifying, justifying his approach, Billy Graham said this, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's God's job to judge, and my job to love. So I just think that's important to hear. I think it's very powerful. And the lives that Billy Graham was able to touch because he just really focused on how do I, how do I share the love of Christ with these people? Holy Spirit will convict of sin. God will judge. He's given me this call to love. And love is the third dimension of relationships, real relationships. But guess what? That word is so worn out culturally, I can't use it. Because we love pizza and we love the Canucks and we love, I love my wife. It's just, it's too stretched thin. So I'm going to say the word costly. The third dimension of real relationships is costly. If I told you the third dimension was love, you probably, your eyes would glaze over and you'd be like, okay, but there would be, there would be no substance to it, no challenge, no reality. So I want to do what the apostle John did when he was trying to pastor his people and encourage them to live out a real love of Jesus in their community. And so this is how he sparked their imagination. He said, you guys know what real love is. Real love. And that's because Jesus gave up his life for you. And you know that. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. There is a love that the world offers, but it is not real. It is, I just think of the word civility. Our world calls us to be good civilians, to be civil. 
So say please, okay? Don't budge in line. That's a sin. Uh, don't use plastic straws. And just be nice. Or for us older people, be kind. Rewind. Okay? You guys remember that one? <laughs> we'll get to that one later. Now, why is the, wor- the world's love so shallow? I think partly it's because we're, we live in a c- consumer culture that is so fixated on a supreme value of convenience. Okay? And if you are fixated on convenience, it's going to be very hard to struggle or to summon the moral and spiritual energy to sacrifice, to actually pay a cost in a relationship. And you'll see this in the economics of our day. So back in the day, let's go back to the early 90s, you had to pay for something to get something. I know. If you wanted to watch a video, you had to buy gas, have a car, drive the car to a blockbuster. It was kind of the thing back in the day. And then you had to pay up front for a small plastic rectangle called a VHS, magically filled with all this tape. And then you take it home, put it in the VCR, and then the movie might be absolutely terrible, but there was no like YouTube to go and beforehand watch the trailer to see if it was worth it. So every week, people would take a $5 risk. And nowadays, that is unthinkable. $5? Nowadays, everything is trial-based. Give us your credit card number, and you can enjoy 30 days free. No commitment. Netflix. Amazon Prime. That's how most pay structures are now. No commitment. So without any cost, we enjoy the thing. And then 26, 27 days later, we're like, oh, uh, commitment. No, uh, I got to... Get my, I gotta get my MasterCard number back so they don't charge me on the 30th. I got, I'm not gonna commit to this company because $7.99 a month is crazy. And so, because that's our economics, economics radically shapes the way that we do relationships. And so, we do trial based relationships. It's kind of like we try on relationships like we try on clothes that winners. There's no cost, no sacrifice, no commitment. But here's the thing. What do you get in return when there's no commitment, when there's no loyalty and sacrifice? You actually get nothing. You get get a simulation of a relationship. You don't actually get the substance and reality of a real relationship. And so we see loneliness becoming this massive epidemic and developed nations are like, having ministries of health focusing on loneliness and what do we do because it is becoming this massive problem. And I think it's partly because if you want to meaningfully connect and have a real relationship, you're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to pay the cost of vulnerability, of forgiveness, of apologizing, of time, of commitment. That are some of the things in a real relationship. So let me end with a story of someone in our church who lives out the costly love of Jesus. And because she does that, she has a real relationship. She has a beautiful marriage. So her name is Sandy Campbell. 
And her husband, Les, lives in Upper Glenmore in a support home. And he faces uh, vascular dementia, which is somewhat akin to Alzheimer's. So he forgets a lot of his past. Forgets so much. And every week, Sandy visits her husband. And can you imagine? That is not an easy thing to do. There's a cost of time, of money, and then think of the emotional cost of seeing her beloved age like that. And so less is, being with less kind of brings up nostalgia, and nostalgia actually means pain from the past. It means there's a beautiful past, and I can't get back to it, and it, get, it creates that like, ugh, that's nostalgia. And so weekly, she sees her husband But he's not like what he used to be. He used to be apparently a big deal preacher in Kelowna. Maybe some of you heard his sermons or in his church. He apparently preached around the world. He was an evangelist, but this bold speaker. And now he's in a home. And his speech mumbles a bit. And every week Sandy goes and makes this sacrifice to be with her husband. But why? Because she has been called to less. She made a covenant death do his part. And she has been called to see her husband through the eyes of Jesus. And she has been called to love less with the love of Christ. And so I had heard about less the legend and I was like, Sandy, could one day, could I come with you and meet him? So I got to go with her and meet less a few months ago. And at the end of our visit, they sat together before a piano like a first date gone well. And then something happened, something that Sandy said would happen. And I just can't get it out of my head. And it is a beautiful picture of real relationships. And I think of the kingdom of God. So they sat down together and Sandy began to play some old hymns that she and Les used to sing together. And even though he forgets so much, something awoke in him as she was playing and he began to remember these long lost songs that were like deep in him and his hands started to move and he started to play along with his wife but harmony and so she's doing the melody and he's like plinking along doing the harmony and he's like picking up speed and adding more notes and it was just this beautiful picture of how costly love unlocked the music within So imagine the music yet to be unlocked in your relationships and in yourself because you and I have yet to take that risk of a costly relationship. They didn't share this early in the morning or the the first service, but so mom and dad married for, forgive me, mom, 40 years or something. He passed away seven years ago. But uh, at times their marriage was very hard because of the illness. My dad was wheelchair bound and everything. And, uh, some had counseled her to like, like, why are you still married to him? Like, divorce him and be with a husband that's fully functioning. And she didn't. That's a, you know, that's a worldly script. She said no. And she loved and served my husband, her husband, <laughs> for like 20-something years. And I watched that like every day. And uh, the, the beauty I saw in their relationship, and I remember in the last like five or ten years, because they had held on in their marriage, there was a, there was a beauty and an, and an intimacy 
that I was like, if I could only have that in, in, in a marriage. But because they held on and they stuck it through and they did the hard work, they had one of the most beautiful marriages that I've ever seen in my life. I know I'm biased, but you do the hard work, you pay the cost, and the love that can happen. But the world doesn't offer that. The world is just cheap. It's cheap relationships. Throw away people, throw away relationships. And here's Sandy taking young Buck Marcus to this home, and, and I get to watch a real marriage and it was just so inspiring. And I share that story with you to encourage you. The path to real relationships is not convenient. It is costly. And the irony is, if you hoard all the love that you have, and you just hoard it to yourself, and you never sacrifice, you never pay a cost, don't think that you're going to be richer. I've got all this love. There is no compounding interest when it comes to love. You will end up with nothing. You will be bankrupt socially. You'll be alone. We have to learn how to take risks and love and commit and serve people. So who, as we're talking about this, who is God calling you to sacrifice, to love sacrificially for? Who is he calling you to serve? And what's that going to look like in the relationship? So what are real relationships? They are purposeful. You have been called to the people in your relationship. Real relationships are Godward. We see people with the eyes of Jesus. And then lastly, real relationships are costly. We sacrifice. We love like Jesus. And that's, what, that's the shape of our relationships. That's what they're going to look like as we follow Jesus. Because at the end of the day, none of us can actually make this stuff happen. It has to be the Spirit of God at work in us, transforming our relationships. So... I want to encourage you to that. I just love to pray now as Joel comes up to finish with the song. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are an eternal relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if anyone knows how to do relationships, it's you because you are a relationship and that's a mystery. Also, you invented relationships. And so, God, we come before you humbly asking you to help us have real friendships and real father-son, father-daughter, mother-daughter relationships, real marriages, real relationships in the workplace, real relationships with our neighbors. God, it's so easy to settle into a relationship, to get stuck in a rut. But Holy Spirit, we hear you calling us to a new depth. We hear you calling us to a deeper faith. And so we entrust ourselves to you, God, thanking you that you will teach us because you model for us what it means to love. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.